conversation this announcement business is um you know like hey everybody welcome to 100 lunatics i'm daniel and i'm nathan or whatever hey everybody welcome to and then when i say 100 lunatics we both say it together and we go 100 lunatics and then i come out and cracking a whip and i'm like 100 lunatics and there's just a montage of me screaming our name Welcome, motherfuckers. You're acting like a lunatic. Welcome, motherfuckers. 100 lunatics. Welcome to 100 lunatics. Welcome, motherfuckers. <laughs> or something like that. Hey, that was real great, Nathan. Thanks a lot for that. Hey, everybody else. Welcome to 100 lunatics. I'm your host, Daniel. This is Nathan. How did you feel about Friday the 13th, Nathan? Um, you want my honest opinion? Uh, yes, like, yeah. You want, like, no. you want me to be totally upfront with you and honest about how I felt about the movie? Give you like a summation of my experience and how I feel about Friday the 13th? Okay, here, let me put it a little bit more specifically. Mm-hmm. Having seen Nightmare on Elm Street last week mm-hmm. and watching this movie this week, what, how, what were your feelings in comparison to how you felt about Nightmare on Elm Street? Did you like it more or less? Um, that's, that's a layered question. That's a layered question. They're both awful. (laughs) Which one would you watch again if you had to? (laughs) If I had to, if I had to watch another one again, I would probably watch Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, that answers the question then. I kind of had Only a feeling because Nightmare on Elm Street is a unique idea. It has more to it. This is Friday the 13th is just a basic slasher flick with awful POV and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you don't like the sway cam? There's no lunatic in it. I guess there is a lunatic in it, but it's not Jason. Was that surprising to you? Was it where you do? Were you surprised to find out that Jason is not actually even in this film, really? Well, it made me want to call this, you know, not Jason One, but Friday the Thirteenth. Jason One, aka Pamela. <laughs> it's Friday the Thirteenth. 
Yeah, no. That's why is, it's not called it is Friday the Jason 13th. something until way, way later. It is Friday the 13th, but I was sitting there thinking about this, and I was like, okay, is this like, what? what is the significance of this movie? Is this the first ever, like, slasher movie that, you know, ran around and just killed random people? No, there's and... actually there's actually a pretty good reason, because like, I agree with you. I, I prefer Nightmare on Elm Street over Friday the 13th, and there's a good reason that this movie feels different in a way. Like you notice with Nightmare on Elm Street, it's Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. It's John Carpenter's Halloween. It's Clive Barker's Hellraiser. And then this is just Friday the 13th. Because Sean Cunningham, who directed and produced this, didn't also write this. His buddy did. His buddy Victor Miller. And I was watching uh, a reunion cast uh, question and answer thing on the extras on the Blu-ray. And... Victor Miller is on there, and he goes, no joke. Sean Cunningham came up to me, and he said, Halloween was really successful. Let's rip it off. <laughs> that's like the first, when I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes, that's like the first review. It's just like blatant ripoff of Halloween. This is garbage. <laughs> it's exact, and, then he, and then he went on to say, he's like, well, I've never written a horror movie before. So I just went and watched Halloween and figured out the format and just copied it. <laughs> That's brutal. And there's like this film is very much a demographic business approach to horror. Mm. What do we need? We need teenagers. We need them having sex. We need them smoking grass. We've been walking around this, in the woods. This takes away a lot of my thunder because that's one of my insults for this movie is that it's not original. It's just giving birth to what will become Jason. This is a this is a paperweight. This is a this isn't even worth talking about. That's right. You could argue that there will be more to talk about in the Friday the Thirteenth franchise once we actually get to Jason. I'm excited to see Jason. I was waiting to see him the whole movie. Yeah, I thought it would be odd to like have knowledge like you do that Jason is a thing that exists and it's attached to the series so hard, but then having no real experience with watching the film, so being like, where the fuck is he the whole time? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Betsy Palmer shows up acting like a crackhead. But I wanted to get that out there first and foremost, was that that's a reason that this movie feels kind of hollow. Is because Sean Cunningham doesn't really give a fuck. <laughs> he's out to make money. He wants to make enough money to make another movie. That was a direct quote from him. Well, I I'm looking forward to seeing Jason. So, but I get the feeling like he's supernatural now as well. That I was under the impression that he was just a, a psychotic, just a straight up lunatic. You know, mm-hmm. kind of like uh, Mike Myers. Right, But I think Mike Myers is actually what I was expecting, and I found that, okay, so what? In number two, he's going to come out of the lake as a supernatural being back from the dead? Mm. Almost like a a Jesus of horror? That's kind of an appropriate way of looking at it, but there, yeah, I kind of actually forget the lore. I have a vague recollection. We're, we're just going to have to wait until we get to that film. Okay. 
Well, let's start chewing this thing up then, because... Yes, we are. I was just about to pull us right into it, because this movie, despite the fact that it it has that hollowness that we described, it, it does set into standard a, a lot of tropes that mm. are, are being used oh. for the for the first time. Oh, immediately, that's that's one thing I, I saw right away after watching the movie. It was like, oh, man, Nightmare on Elm Street had a more clever idea, but this is going to stack up a lot better. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's or a lot has, going on. It has more going on with the with the stack generic evaluation oh god this place steve should never have opened this place again there's been too much trouble here did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed the counselors weren't paying any attention they were making love while that young boy drowned his name was jason so it's cold open right off the bat. That's an immediate trope. First shot of the movie is a full moon. Uh, Didn't catch that. Yep. We pan down. It's Camp Crystal Lake. We learn the name of the camp right off the bat. It was established in what year? 1958. 1935. But it's the year 1958 in which we're watching this. We have a creepy kind of cam slow walk through, through all the little children that are sleeping in their beds in the ca- in the cabin. And then we go straight to the counselors singing. Were they singing Hallelujah? Mm, it felt religious. I don't know if it was. It was at least innocent. Mama, row your boat ashore. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. And those Maybe. teens are just eyeballing each other, just eye-fucking each other. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, they're going to fuck. They're uh-huh. going to go somewhere and fuck. Here we go. Mm-hmm. The second the guitar drops, he's already standing up. Is like she's barely finishing the song, and then they head upstairs. Immediately they're interrupted. He's like, "Oh shit!" Buttoning his pants up, and then boom! First death of the movie. He gets stabbed in the gut, and then straight to the girl who's you know returning the serve. Mm-hmm. Weak, weak. The whole scene was weak. Mm-hmm. Like the the camera like goes up the stairs, and the terrible it, POV that you're talking about. Yeah, you're. <laughs> You're sitting there like, here we go, here we go, here comes the lunatic, he's gonna get... Uh, what? Huh? What is this, like, Skyrim and we're killing people? Like, what's going on here? Uh-huh, and it, you don't even see the other girl die. We just assume that she's murdered. It actually just freezes on her face and then goes straight to credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was so creative. No, the explanation that I heard for that was that they tried to make an escalation in the deaths in the movie so that they started off extremely weak at the in the cold open so that when you get the first death later, it's more shocking, hmm. which makes sense. I don't think it was that successful, Mm-mm. but this movie was $600,000. That was their budget. I saw the estimate at 550000 but that's okay. Yeah. And the makeup guy was Tom Savini. I didn't even know that he was the guy that did all the makeup for this movie. He's he's the guy with the gun dick in From Dust Till Dawn. And the cop who gets his wedding ring finger bitten off in Planet Terror. Like, he's in all these Robert Rodriguez movies now as an actor. But he's, like, the makeup guy from Friday the 13th. <laughs> hmm. Nobody knows who you're talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, when I say gun dick guy from From Dust Till Dawn... People know. <laughs> okay. All right. Sure. I don't. All right. So let's come right into the movie then. All right. We have cute little Annie. Cute little Annie with her backpack on, strolling into town. She was cute. I remember. I liked mm-hmm. her character. 
I was like, I hope she doesn't die right away. She's cute. Yeah, she's cute, and she doesn't die right away. She's the next death. Mm. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's all the cheesy crap. No, she oh, walks you're in. Going out? You're going out to Crystal Lake. Camp uh-huh. Crystal Lake. Ooh. Uh-huh, she silences the, the cafe or the diner. You mean Camp Blood? You mean you mean Camp Blood? Yeah, you better not go out there. Mm-hmm. You'll never come back. What do you think, Enos? You should just quit. You can give this little girl a ride into town, you creepy old man. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should just quit right now. You should really just quit. Trope. <laughs> you should turn yeah. back. Mm-hmm. Don't get, don't keep going. Turn back. Right? Is you talking you talking about crazy Ralph? Well, because she's going to get a ride from Enos. I've never heard that name before. Uh, I'm talking about the whole thing. The whole thing is a trope. It's like one one person after the other. And yeah, I guess that is a specific trope where the crazy guy in town tells you not to do it. Yep. And it's 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 not God tells him. (laughs) Okay. Is that another trope? Uh Uh-huh. There's always some other higher source telling him. And he's always given the best advice in the movie and nobody gives him any credit. Well, he looks like a raging psychopath. What do you yep. want? That, that's always the problem. You know, they can't keep their shit together. <laughs> if you don't come across like someone you can trust, if you're more scary than the lunatic is. Yeah, you can't be a 65-year-old man boozing and riding around on a bicycle talking about doom all day. And then wonder why nobody believes anything you have to say. Yeah. Pick your battles, Ralph. And then there's the voice of reason, this Enos fellow, just telling her to quit. Yeah, but he like slams Ralph for being a a freak and then he says the exact same warning. You know, Ralph's right. <laughs> mhm. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, that psychopath right on. I would, I would run out of here terrified. But he gives us some information on what actually happens. He says that a little boy is drowned in 57, then the two kids that we saw died in 58, then there were some fires, and then the camp tried to reopen in 62 but was closed because the Water was bad. Right? And then Annie and Enos engage in like a little bit of a passive-aggressive conversation. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Well, Annie, I think, is almost getting irritated at this point. She just wants to get up to the camp and do her thing. And, you know, she's very carefree and very one-dimensional. Yeah, well, she... they're being like really cordial to each other. And he's like, well, you know, you fucking kids are dumb and won't listen to reason she's like well at least i'm not scared of ghosts you fucking prick yeah she challenges him because she's getting a little bit fed up with people getting in her face yeah every everybody she's talked to in this town and on her way to this camp is you know telling her not to go and she's not a smart person apparently or doesn't listen well (laughs) no she's just adorable i was really hoping that we would see her breasts (laughs) yeah yeah Although I'd say this movie is not without a plethora of hard-nippled, small-tittied, thin-shirted ladies. Oh, yes. No. And it was nice. It was nice in that way that we talked about before, about in, how you mentioned in Nightmare on Elm Street, that kind of that old subtlety. Mm-hmm. Well, it was about what they were allowed to do and what they weren't allowed to do. Like, there was a part of me that thought, I even said to Chelsea when we were watching it, 
the scene where Kevin Bacon is cupping her breast after having sex. Yeah. Right? And he was, he was like almost unnaturally cupping it. And it made me think, okay, so maybe the MPAA, maybe one breast equals a certain rating and two breasts is going too far. Like, and maybe a, they're maybe they're holding back that second breast to try and obtain, you know, an easier rating. Oh, what a sad clipboard that must be for someone to carry around. All right, how we we have thirteen fucks and three three nipples. Be better, fucking make sure there's three nipples. We go one nipple over. <laughs> I don't think the nipples would count. Hard nipples through a shirt can't can't be judged that way. It's, That's it's true. A, it's about nudity, right? How much nudity? Was it full frontal nudity? No, it wasn't full frontal nudity, but they did show a breast. Oh, but it wasn't full frontal? No, it wasn't full frontal. Oh, are they just trying to cheat the system? Yes, Mm -hmm. they are. They're definitely trying to cheat the system. Most definitely. Sorry, I distracted you from Annie and Enos and... No, it's okay. It, it cuts away from Annie, right? It does. It cuts it away cuts from away Annie. It cuts away from Annie. It introduces you to the guy that's running the whole Crystal Lake affair. Oh, no, wait. No, first it introduces us to Marcy, Ned, and Jack driving in their truck up to the camp. Oh, right. Yep. I immediately identified her as a slut. Yes. And I said, slut's gonna go. This made me feel better about Annie. I was like, okay, Annie's safe. That's the slut. Yeah, you were like using horror your recently... Uh, absorb horror knowledge and tropes to like figure out the plot of a movie. Yeah, well, I'm trying. I'm trying to engage. I'm trying no, to use. No, I have never been prouder of you in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I was like, okay, wait a minute. She's the slut, and Chelsea was helping me. She was like, because she didn't remember the movie and hadn't watched it for a really long time. So, I was and she, like, she just knows other girls too. She's like, mm, slut. <laughs> yeah. Oh, slut alarm. Slut slut alarm's going off. No bra hard nipples, slut. She's doomed. But you also did we know there they're like, all doomed. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Could you also tell there was like a, a an obvious weird thing that was gonna happen with one girl and two guys? Like it looked like she was with Kevin Bacon because he's the more attractive one, but then she's like kind of flirting with Ned who's driving the truck. Maybe I saw that on my second time through when I already knew. I didn't I didn't think about it that in depth. I'll tell you what I thought about. I thought slut Annie's safe and then I thought, "Oh, here we go. Kevin Bacon versus Johnny Depp. Let's do this." <laughs> yeah, that's right. Who was who's, who's the one modern one? one modern actor legend in each bunch, yeah. And they're both the same guy. They're both the laid-back cocky Cool, attractive guy. Cool, attractive one, right? Although, I argue Bacon's attractiveness. Yeah. He's got sort of that weird taut face. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because I know where that face is going. I know how time is going to affect that face. So even though I see him as a young, strapping young lad, and I'm just thinking the woodsman the whole time, so. Yeah. Well, what's weird about when they're For those of you who don't know, The Woodsman is a movie where Kevin Bacon plays a reformed child molester. Mm-hmm. He's not that reformed. I don't want to ruin the movie, but things get tense when the little girl sits next to him. 
Anyway. That's what that's one pedophile movie reference from you per podcast. <laughs> <sighs> that's not, how many more you that's got? That's not there? fair. That's not fair because I, I'm thinking maybe I no 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 I no, no, say no maybe you know no, one no, more no, maybe no, you know, like no. a dozen more. That's not fair because I don't even think there's very many child molesting movies out there. You're like I know I've checked the, the pickings are slim. <laughs> not checked i didn't even know okay when i when i rented the movie when i ran a video store i rented it because it looked interesting and i was like oh shit this is this is about this okay they yeah it was weird they meet steve christie crazy guy with the mustache and then he gives them oh yeah that's when we that's when alice first comes out Alice, our innocent blonde. Scream queen. Mm-hmm. Our scream queen. Alice takes the counselors off to their cabins. Camp count or the camp owner, Steve, is like, you know, he's having that conversation with Alice as she's putting the gutter up. And they kind of have that weird interaction where it seems like maybe they were romantic or something because she wants to leave for some mysterious reason. And he's like, no, no, just stay one week. Mm. Yeah, no, they did... It did come across like they were, like he was putting it in her. Yeah, right? Like maybe they had had sex and then had an argument and she wanted to leave or maybe something not even connected. It didn't, it didn't never met, never says. Where am I? Where am I? Oh, yeah. Alice walks off. She asks Bill. We meet Bill, who is uh, painting. And is that the, I think that's the first time that we actually see, like, through the stalker's vision, like that there's somebody actually watching all of these people. <laughs> yeah. Horrible POV. Mm-hmm. Sway cam. Mm. They kind of just like such a lit cheap it. tactic. It makes they so just much lit sense. It bob back now and now forth. that you bring up the fact that they were like intentionally just being hokey, trying to get established so that they could make money, it irritates me because it's so hokey. the The POV cam is so terrible, and it's only a half million too. Yeah. Mm. Half million that grossed what? Close to forty. Yeah. And they got away with it. Only in horror. Only in horror could you get away with such bullshit. Ugh. Fuck. Okay. I'm back. Mm-hmm. So Steve gets into his Jeep, tells everybody to get their shit together and get shit done. He heads off into town. What is he going to do? It doesn't even say. He does not say. I listened very hard to see if he was like, I'm just going to get some supplies or something. He just says, I'm going into town, be does he, back does after lunch. Does he have lunch. the trailer when he leaves? No. Or at least you don't see it. Maybe the camera's too high. But no, I didn't notice it. Okay. And the top is down. Okay. And then he says he'll be back after lunch. But later in the movie when he comes back, it's like super late. I don't, I don't know. And he's like at a diner. Just like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, all the, all the all the counselors are gossiping. We get we hear that the the place is called Camp Blood again, just to reinforce. Um, and then we head over to this like psychotic little flirtation scene where we're introduced to the character Brenda. She's taking that like shredded up archery target out to put it up on the stand, mm-hmm. and then fucking Ned shoots an arrow like inches from her body. Mm-hmm. And they, just, and they just laugh it off. 
So funny. <laughs> can I just mention it? Can I just segue for one second to this Camp Blood thing? Yeah. Because it's irritating me. So in the past, they mention what? They make reference to the two, the couple that gets killed, right? Right. And then they make reference to someone else drowning. Uh, they a boy drowned in fifty seven, and then a the two... boy drowned in fifty seven, and the two people were killed. Yeah. And it's called Camp Blood. Yeah, not a whole lot of death because of that. Like, yeah, no. Right, you would you would assume that fit. it happened like every three years. Exactly. Like yeah, murder. no. It comes across like it has this nickname because of a greater reason than just two people got it. And the one guy got a gut shot. He didn't even bleed that much. Right, like, he probably could have survived if he just played dead. Camp Death, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe Camp Death. Or, you know, Camp Whore's Blood, or... Camp Unfortunate. Camp Dry Hump. Camp Couple People Died. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm going to go with that one. Camp A Couple of People Died. <laughs> yeah, Camp A Couple of People Died. There you yeah, go. there we go. Okay, so archery target, silly joke. <laughs> <laughs> flirt, 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 scamper. And um... But you know what, though? This is like typical set the stage for later on, you know, when Ned is walking through the lit up archery area. Yes, yeah, they do bring the archery area back. For one of the deaths, yeah. So yeah, it is It is a setup. There are setups all over this movie. But I felt that it blatant. was... But, but yeah, blatant, but I felt that it was not executed. Like, he should have been wandering in front of the target, and he should have started getting shot by arrows. But he didn't. That's not right. how they played it. If you're going to, you know, use the the cliches properly, they don't even know how to do tropes right in this fucking movie. <laughs> it's terrible. I know shit about horror movies. I've been schooled a little bit. I can already tell that these guys just... Their ambition was much greater than their their execution or their knowledge it's not like they didn't have the ability to do it it's because they couldn't do a scene where i know why i know why never mind it's because they couldn't do the action scene they couldn't show an arrow in going into someone's body exactly they didn't have the ability to do that they had to do like a after before and after type film and i can't believe i didn't see this before all of the deaths are like that yep yeah, they're cheap. It'd be like how you made like a high school movie. Yeah, you'd, even you'd even when the like knife that. goes across Annie's throat, it goes across her throat, but you don't really see it make contact with the skin. You just see, you know, her neck separate. Blah, special effect. Like that's exactly. It's always and special effecty. Thank you for bringing up Annie, because now we cut straight over to Annie. She's still hitching down the road. Her little ride with Enos only got her about halfway there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, what what decision makes sense to you? You know, you're traveling. Everyone's warned you about camp. A couple of people died. And, you know, things are tense and everybody's been saying the same thing and with consistency. So I'm going to hitchhike with a stranger. Perfect sense. Ashar did it once. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah, I'll catch a ride with whoever. I'm Annie. I'm free loving, carefree Annie. Mm-hmm. I'm first she... to die Annie. <laughs> yeah, she doubled up and she lost. Can we can we talk about the Jeep? Yeah, yeah, we can talk about the Jeep, yeah. So what does Pamela do then? Every time new people come near the camp, she uh you know, eyeballs 
what kind of vehicle they're driving and she goes car shopping is that that's a good fucking question i was thinking about that too i was like does she just go and like steal uh steve's car throughout the day and like use it to get around and murder he's gone they take him out of the equation and he's got his jeep later so, yeah, exactly. So she then just, she, she must went have out the and same bought car the same him. Jeep just for this purpose. Or, this is the better explanation, the assholes who wrote the movie were trying to trick you and didn't care about the implications or consistency of her driving the same Jeep or what that entails. Oh, yeah, that's actually right. That's that's actually more right, yeah. Of I course did hear it's some... more right. I'm an intelligent person and this is a stupid movie. No, this movie just is is just obviously thin skinned. It's not a whole lot going on. But yeah, there was definitely mention that Betsy Palmer went to Sean Cunningham and said, "You guys really aren't giving them any clue at all as to who it might be," which is kind of unfair. Maybe we should go and put me like in the diner somewhere in the background or something. And they were just like, "Nah, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. It'll work the way it is." And it did. Yeah. You know, this movie has to be respected for its like crass business balls as opposed to any sort of uh you know, cinematic value other other than to lay into practice hackneyed tropes. No, it doesn't have to be respected for that. It can be. You can choose to respect it for that because you have an appreciation for where it goes, how many sequels it has, blah 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 and how much money. You don't have made. to like it. I don't think that that's how you should target this. I don't think that that's how I want to look it. at it. You have to respect. You got to get down on your knees. You know, slowly work the balls in the shaft out and over the zipper delicately. And you don't really have to put it in your mouth and like it, but you just got to, you know, kiss it a little and then you can put it back. I don't know. I picture it just sitting on my face and being miserable. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I feel like. I just like. see you I with don't. a scornful look and just big balls just <laughs> draped over your face. Just a, just a dick, just smack <laughs> on my face. Anyway, um, this is not what I'm talking about. All right, I'm talking about. I don't want to respect this movie for anything. What I will do is I will disrespect all the people that patronized it, all the idiots that went to the theater and gave it money and and justified it. That's where I'm pointing. I'm pointing my blame towards something. I'm not celebrating it. See, that's your role. Your role is to celebrate it. This whole thing. This whole thing makes me wonder if Nightmare on Elm Street really had the depth that we gave to it, or if we were just, you know, loaded enough that it it created depth. Like if we were no. drunk right now talking was... about this, Friday the Thirteenth would be this deep movie with all these intricate points behind the veiled curtain. No, no. First of all, I was not that drunk last time that we that we recorded, and uh, this movie is to be uh, respected and enjoyed. There is value to this. I'm sure that a big reason this was popular in theaters, why critics slammed it and people loved it, was because I'm sure this is one of those movies that was fun to see in a group. Well, you want to talk about the Jeep? Was there anything? Was that was that your main concern? Was that there was my just, main the concern? Fuck was is I just, she I getting just that car to be from? Pointed out that they were just doing it as a device for the audience. That she yeah, was driving to, the to same mislead. Jeep for the audience's deception, for the deception of the audience and no other reason. It has no context within the movie. Henceforth, it is a stupid decision that doesn't make any logical sense to its execution. But I'm sure that it worked. I'm sure there were a lot of people that t- 
totally thought it was the camp owner for a long part of this movie. Yeah, stupid teenagers that patronized the movie and gave it success and gave birth to all these other movies that we now have to watch and talk about. <sighs> As she's in the Jeep and the Jeep drives past the road that goes to Crystal Lake, then she knows something's up. Something's not right. The car speeds up and she just jumps out of the car. Yeah, I know. Fuck it. It's bold. I was cheering. For, I was cheering for Annie. And you know what? This whole POV killer thing. Although you know we've already harped about the steady the the sway cam or the POV cam being stupid and lame. So I'm not going to harp on that anymore. I just you know want, wanted to be very clear that it was poorly done. But as the movie progressed, you start to really get curious. What's on the other side of that? You know, camera. Exactly. Yeah. And you so- you are thinking because in this situation I know who Jason is I know the series is you know about Jason pretty much in its entirety so I'm expecting it to be Jason so when it's not Jason it immediately makes me reevaluate every single kill that happened in the movie. The second that you find out that it's Pamela Voorhees and she's this, you know, kind of short, kind of weak looking woman, um, you immediately go back to every single death. So I'm bringing this up now because every time you bring up a death, I want to be able to point out the fact that this is, you know, a girl oh. running away from an old lady about the same size as her saying, no, oh God, no, no, no. Oh, and it dead. and it doesn't take much to really take her down either. No, no. There's so many flaws with with this. Like it it immediately discredits every kill that happened. No, no, up we to can't. It. We have to have. We have to suspend some some disbelief. Uh, if you want to get into Fight Club, you can break down where that movie falls apart when you have to look at it retroactively. Um. Oh. <laughs> Oh, when Chelsea hears this, she's not gonna like you anymore. Hey, I'm I love that movie. Um, <laughs> that's why I'm an advocate of both of these. And also, you brought up a good point. I didn't even think about this movie might be more genius than I thought. <laughs> Fuck. There, you mentioned something that the in the people that watched this movie in 1980, their big surprise, you know, it was that it was. Pamela Voorhees that was doing all these killings, but that's because they had been led through the whole movie to think it was all sorts of other people in the movie. And you coming to it so much later, already knowing the lore and probably should have already known everything about the film, what the ending was and everything, just simply don't because you don't really engage. So even though it's permeated culture, you watching it experienced a whole different sort of surprise ending, thinking that it was Jason instead of being surprised that it was Pamela Voorhees, his mother. So it's timeless. Why is it timeless? Because it discredits um, all of the all of the kills except for one. Because the sixth sense doesn't work the same no, way. No, it discredits all the kills except for one. And by discredit, I mean why is she? Why 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 are they surrendering control and power? Like she jumps out of the vehicle and then she runs away frantically. You know, the, 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 the troped up wandering run away from who? That 
like you could take her Annie Annie from from the terrifying <sighs> creepy creepy smiling lady Annie, that's Annie could that's, so take her Annie could so take her Annie was a bold strong young woman okay you could see it she you know she defied people she was defiant she was strong she she had the courage to jump out of that moving vehicle she was not she jumped out of the moving vehicle so what so that she could trope run away from this Weak yeah. ass grandma, come on, come yeah, on! Wait, listen, listen to my notes that I wrote exactly Garbage. involving that. Annie runs into the woods away from a barrage of sway cam and tortured violins. Stumbles once, oh, twice. Yeah, the, the music was terrible. Th- once, twice, three times, and then falls at the feet of the killer. Yeah, becomes incompetent all of a sudden after being defiant and courageous. She instantly becomes totally incompetent. And, yeah, the music at the beginning was, oh, that violin was just over the top and terrible. <laughs> no, it was better. Later on, it was better. I'll give credit where credit's due. The whole, I mean, we were making fun of it, but the whole, <sighs> that part, yeah. it was it was used well. It was it was good with the darkness and the cabins. Like, it was it was good. Okay. But, so, let's, so let's let people listening know that, they should see an old woman committing all these murders that we're describing yes. and, and yes. let them just enjoy the silliness of that and not get caught up on it. Because <clears throat> after she cuts Annie's throat hmm. in the woods... After she waves the knife across her throat and the yes, throat so she separates l- with horrible special effects. Actually, for 1980, it's probably considered not bad, but... Mm-hmm. It is a... Th- is a thing that was once new and is now considered age old. Mm-hmm. Um, but we head back to camp after Annie's death. We've got all the counselors enjoying hanging out on those floating decks in the lake. There's a little bit of tanning, a little bit of flirting, some nice bikinis. Yeah, some sexual content, yeah. Mm-hmm. And all these girls have small breasts. Mm-hmm. All of them. Well, back in the 80s, um, big you know, melon, melonous breasts weren't really considered that hot. I mean, but I just I love the the female body type from the eighties. There's this way that they are able to be thin while still being fleshy. That I only ever see from that era. I think you get boners at horror movies. No, that that goes for those other stupid movies too, like Meatballs and Porkies and shit. Same thing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't bring masterpieces like Porky's <laughs> and oh, Meatballs into this. Step on any of those Canadian masterpieces now. Whoa. <laughs> are I don't they want both, to incite a riot are they, here. Are they both Canadian? Uh, I know Por- Porky's is. Ugh, that. That's terrible news. It was in the Canadian film section when I used to work at Rogers. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, that's terrible news. Nice. <laughs> <sighs> Hey, out there. at least we didn't make Friday the 13th. Huh? High five, everybody. Yeah. High five. Awesome. Great news. I know. I could have $38 million. <laughs> <laughs> could, have, could have made a lot of money. Could have made enough to yeah, make another movie. Pissed it away. I guess Americans are the only ones that have the innovation and, uh, and the balls to, uh, you know, just... What, what balls? We should just respect this guy for having the balls to just blatantly make a movie for money. No. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't. We're not going to. We're going to point out everything that's wrong with it. So let's keep going. Let's get going past this lovely moment. You know, this is where they attempt to connect you with the characters for five seconds before they start killing all of them. 
It is. This is that. That is exactly what this scene is. This is the this weak is... attempt at making you relate to these kids, and it the is. only people it relates to is the you know teenagers that are in the theater in the group that you that they targeted. So they targeted a demographic. That's the only thing. The only the only compliment we could give this movie is that it targeted a demographic and it executed to that demographic incredibly well. Because mm-hmm. they didn't need to be. You, you... They could be faceless teenagers having fun on on a dock, and every teenager of the day that went to see this movie would connect with them because they didn't they're not looking for depth they're there to be scared they're there for yeah that is you goal perfectly described why this movie should be respected there's a part in when ned is pretending to drown out in the water and brenda like dives in with her shirt on and Kevin Bacon is running. Oh, terrible dive. Bacon. Terrible dive. Yeah, did you see it? Oh, did you see he it? He does not know how to dive at all. He looked <laughs> like an asshole. Here's what I think would happen. I think that he was like going to just jump into the water, but then he saw Brenda dive in. At the last second, he decided to dive in and just fucked it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. I watched real close for it well, the because, second time around. Because Sean was probably like, no, no, no. That, that take was good enough. Yep, Kevin, that's right. Kevin Bacon was like, was probably like, no, dude, I want to dry off and and try it again. Can, can we do the scene again? I I don't think I dove very well. He's like, nah, it's fine. Looks good. We're all about <laughs> moving on here. My name's Sean. I'm all about money. Hi. Mm-hmm. You know what I thought though? I'll tell you my initial reaction after he dove in. What's that? Johnny would have done it better. Ooh. Point Johnny. All right, so let's move over to Alice. She's changing her cabin. We notice a snake has snuck into the cabin. Yeah, what's up with the fucking snake? This I, is, this is I all about bonding between them, right? And how they, it was and a how weird, they awkward all, bonding. They all come together. Either, either the snake is like an indication of an omen or something. You're going to bring up some trope about, you know, black crows and snakes and blah dee blah foreshadowing, do-dee-do-do-do-do. We do, we're introduced to the machete. <sighs> The machete that Pamela doesn't even use. That is used on her. Yeah, but Jason is connected to the machete. The machete, they they don't have the foresight right now. They haven't even decided that Jason's going to be what Jason is. So if you are saying that the machete, being introduced to the machete for the first time in the series, has some sort of meaning for the following movies, I'm going to call absolute horseshit on that. Because they didn't even create Jason yet. No, then there is no foreshadowing to other movies. This was supposed to this was supposed to be a one-off. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad that you're being honest. It's only referencing to the end of itself. Okay. Fine. That the, and it's that also the machete cuts the head is... off the snake just like the snake at the end of the movie gets her head cut off. Yeah, through bone and cartilage and Alice's, you know, Apparently, apparently strong forearms and <laughs> built biceps. She's got some serious swing on that. She should have been, you know. She should have been out there clearing the woods out. She should be the one wearing the football jersey. Mm-hmm. She could have pulled that stump out herself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's got right? some. And that weird cop shows up. But you know what, though? It was like superhuman strength, you know? The kid yes. trapped underneath oh, yeah. the car, lift the car up, stuff like that. Yeah, don't steal my points that I'm saving for arguments later. <laughs> Is that what you, was one of your How points? How dare you stun? Are you looking at my notes? That was one of your points, huh? No, no, no. Mm. One of them. Mm. I have backups. Yeah, we'll cross that one out because I already exposed how lame it was. This isn't Boggle. I don't have to cross it out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I love the scene underneath the 
It's so staged. The scene underneath the bed where all of them are looking underneath for the snake, and you're just like, oh yeah, <laughs> they all they all huddle up on yeah. top of each you're other. Like, what a sh- what a shot! <laughs> He's probably proud of it back in the day, you know. Probably, mm-hmm. Oh, great shot, guys! Great shot. And then, Kevin, they, and then Kevin's like, oh, he'll he'll do three takes of that bullshit scene, but he won't let me dive in again. Fucking asshole. <laughs> Also, when everybody stumbles into the cabin, they close themselves in with the snake. Mm, yeah. No, I thought about that, too. Why are you closing the door? Yeah. What, what, what the hell does that, all that serve? Good job, Brenda. Mm. But just when the movie starts getting too dark, here comes Ned to lighten the mood with a little racial slapstick comedy. Mm. That's when the cop shows up and starts asking a bunch of weird questions and talking like a 1940s detective to everybody. Hey, you boy. What are you smoking on the grass? What are you on that? You on that herb? On the ganja? What are you doing there, boy? Uh, nobody gives the cop any respect. Like Kevin Bacon just starts touching all over his motorcycle and like grabbing on his radio. <laughs> I think I might have gone to the bathroom for this part. I don't remember this. Oh, anyways, <laughs> it's too That's bad. That's how much I cared this. about this part. I was like, I gotta go pee. Nah, don't. Yes. Do you want me to pause it, honey? No, I'm good. <laughs> It's too bad you don't remember because now I got to go look this up because when that cop is up there talking to them, he gets a call on his radio that makes him leave to go check on this accident that happened. And then later on in the movie, I, I know I remember the, the scene with him in the car driving uh, whatever his nuts is, the Steve. The Steve, yeah. Yeah, he's driving Steve and he gets a car call and he has to drive away. And I remember when he drove away in that scene, I was like, oh, useless cop trope. Yeah, but the but I I feel like the what was being the accident being described to call them away, I feel like it was the same one for the motorcycle cop as it was for the cop later. That's with Steve. I feel like it was the same accident. Like maybe it was Pamela, just trying to lure the cops away from the camp. I gotta uh-huh. go look that up now. That's an interesting insight. But um, I doubt it here. because everything else about this movie. Yeah, why like, would it be that? Yeah, just throw now. something in to get rid of the cop. Yeah, whatever. It just like accidentally lines up, and they maybe they were stupid enough to use the same one because they didn't care. Care to make up another story to be called away to? Yeah, yeah. Just say oh, it's, I, I don't that. know. Just say it's another accident. Come on, we got we got we got we got to film this. We got to go. Uh, we got an accident over on uh, Highway Two. But either way, we're done with motorcycle cop. I don't think we ever even interact with that character again. Um. We go to Alice cleaning up in the kitchen, and this is when she opens up the pantry, and Crazy Ralph is in there. I'm just hiding out, just hanging out in the pantry. Yeah. Just waiting patiently to, you know, prophesize. I think this is when I came back out of the bathroom after urinating. Yeah, I came back out, and he was just there. <laughs> I don't know why. He was, just, he was just in the pantry in the dark, just waiting for someone to open the door. That's all he was doing in there. So weird. But how did he get out to the place? Like he just walked out there. He has, and... he, has a, he has a bicycle. Oh, he rode his bike out there and just hid inside. Like, come on, how? Yes, we do. See, what is his name? Ralph. Yeah. Ralph, you want people to listen to what you say, but you talk like a crazy person. You've got wild eyes. You look like you need to be wearing a straight jacket and be secured somewhere. And then you add insult to injury by riding your bike out and hiding inside of the cabins. 
Oh, I know. To surprise them with the message from some sort of religious sense, and it's just, it's too much. It's too much. It's like, yeah, okay, we get the warning. We get it. We get it. Yeah. Yeah. You, Ralph, we heard you. Annie got the big warning. These kids don't know about it. It's fine for them to not know about it. It seemed very important to these guys to give that, you know, tropey warning. Mm-hmm. That was a sticking he's probably just, point. He's probably just there as another red herring for the audience to think might be the killer. But I would like to think that ever since Steve has been up there fixing the place up, you know, old crazy Ralph, he likes to think of himself kind of as like the guardian of Camp Crystal Lake. You know, he likes to spend some of his time up there making sure that nothing's going bad. And if there are some teenagers that wander up there, to give them a fair warning. And once Steve moved in and started fixing up the place and stocking the place with supplies, old Ralph, a little hard in his luck, had somewhere to go and, you know, smooch off a couple of cans of food now and then. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he got caught in that act Mm-mm. and then had to, had to play up the old doomsday warning and then ride his bike out of there. I'll tell you what it is. They're business guys, right? Mm-hmm. Sean Cunningham... It's all about the business, right? We're supposed to give them respect for that. Right. Right. So they fell in love with the tagline for the movie before they made the movie. And they yes, had to they make the movie match up with the tagline. And one of the yeah. taglines was, they were warned. They are doomed. And on Friday the 13th, nothing will save them. So yeah. if it says they were warned, then they have to be warned. Oh, we'll just make... Uh, how are we going to warn them? Uh, Victor, how are we going to warn them, man? Well... Put one of those uh, god guys no, no, in there. No, 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 we, we can take Ralph. We'll take Ralph. Put Yeah, Ralph is inside the pantry. How did he get there? On his bike. Yeah, okay, yeah, that works. Yeah. Sure, whatever. Yeah, no, Ralph works, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, if that's, you know, too simple for people, they can go with the story that I provided. Um, and, you're, and you're right. They did literally come up with the title first for this movie and then the movie afterwards. <laughs> They actually did. He fell in love with the idea of Friday the 13th being something that's horrifying and should have a movie made after it. Put out an ad in the papers to attract attention for money. Got the money to make the movie and then had his friend Victor write it. I'm not surprised, right? I'm, I'm just guessing about this stuff and I'm right. So so let's speed up and get some into some uh, sex. Our actual, our only sex in this movie. We cut back over to Jack and Marcy. I think that's the first time I've actually called him Jack. He's the only one I've been calling by his actual actor name this whole time. Um, they're dancing, making out by the lake. Ned sees them, and he's sad. And they sit down for a while. Marcy tells her weird blood rain dream, which Jack just ignores. <laughs> and then it starts to rain, and they go inside. Well, Jack's too cool. He just wants to stick his thing inside of her. Marcy. Marcy Cunningham. That's her that's her name. Is it like a tribute to the director? That her, Possibly. That her last name is Cunningham in the movie? Probably is. Right? But she looks nice in her little cotton panties and her little midriff shirt with no bra. She lays down to wrap her lips around some sweet, sweet bacon. <laughs> okay. And they get at it. Mm-hmm. And then... We have to cut back over to Alice, Bill, and Brenda. Enjoying a little time in front of the fire. Actually, and then Bill plays an actual really nice song on the guitar. It was actually like a really pretty song. It was way out of place in this movie. 
And then they all start to kind of worry that they haven't heard from the other counselors, but they don't really care about that. Instead, hey, let's play Strip Monopoly. How they ever figured out what clothing equates to what fee for what, I have no idea. So Brenda lands clay into the shoe. Boom, we get to switch back over to Jack and Marcy fucking. And they are naked. And she is having sweet, sweet, innocent slut orgasms. Very subtle ones. I noticed that if that same scene were done today, and I'm sure we'll notice when we watch the reboot, uh, she would be screaming and getting buck wild fucked against a wall. Like, Kevin Bacon's death is the reason why that sex scene happens where it does. Right, but the way that it happens. I mean, that it's so, like, tender. Like, he's being very calm and loving with her on top. They show a little shot of his ass, a little shot of her boobs, and back to her face, like, really softly moaning. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the world has become more gratuitous because censorship has died and everybody needs to shock each other more with lame, ridiculous nonsense. Right. If that scene were done today, he would be fucking her insanely missionary style. She'd be bouncing all over the place, and we'd have a shot of the killer under the bed with the mattress coming within inches of his face. She'd be grabbing her hair. He'd be, he'd be grabbing her hair up in a nice thing and just, like, ramming her in the ass, right? Mm-hmm. She'd be like, spit in my mouth, you fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Come all over my face! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's terrible. They do their thing, and then she has to go pee. Now... This is where I theorize that she has to go take a shit. Because if it's raining that hard outside and you have to go pee, you'd probably just find somewhere close to the cabin and take a piss and run back inside, right? But if you got to drop a deuce, then maybe you make your way all the way down to the scary outhouse. Mm, not girls. We forgot to mention that before she leaves to go take a piss, we cut to Ned, who has his throat slit on the top bunk. Yeah. Just sitting there decaying. But do they show him right away before they're having sex? No, they show it while they're having sex. Mm. Right. Yeah, so Ned, they... which he killed out in the woods somewhere and then dragged the body in there and put it up on top of the bed bunk bed. No, no, he, he stumbled into that cabin because he thought he saw someone. Yeah, he stumbled into the cabin, she killed him, and then lifted his body up onto the bunk bed. <laughs> Yes, that's right. Yeah, the little old lady. Yep. Decided to... Juiced by the justified rage Mm. and vengeance. Well, the adrenaline was cooking, right? She had just killed someone. So... Exactly. You know, easy. (laughs) One-handed. Up there. Done. Mm -hmm. We're good. Right, we head back over to Alice. She's come back to the Monopoly table with a little bit of grass. Kill, kill, kill. Mom, 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 mom. Uh-huh. That's right. No, seriously, that, that's what that's what the voice inside of Pamela's head's doing underneath the bed. She's underneath the bed. Mm-hmm. She's underneath the bed getting her kicks off of these two having sex, all right? That's what's going on here. Like, it's the yeah, whole, like, oh, God, Kevin Bacon dies. Like, oh, my God, it's so surprising and shocking. But what's more shocking is the fact that she's underneath the goddamn bed the whole time listening to it. It's like she doesn't want to listen to it. She just can't kill. She's an old woman. She can't take them both on. Oh, she's biding her time. That's what you're saying. She's waiting until one of them. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, she until, can, you know. In, until the whore goes to clean her dirty we, pussy. We can only lift one body up on top of the top bunk at a time. So you're right. I agree. She's got to, mm-hmm. she's got to be careful. She can be overpowered. She isn't, she, she is an old lady. She doesn't want to use up all that revenge juice right off the bat. You know, she's got a lot of killing to do tonight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. But before they die. 
we go back to the Monopoly game. I don't know if you noticed, but Brenda is a lying bitch. She rolls a three and just says that she rolled double sixes and just takes her little piece and just moves it on down the board. <laughs> you know, and it's not even like they were both just looking away and pretending like, oh, it's a movie and it's the old days. So they'll probably not even notice through the fuzz what the fuck the dice say. But they both look at it and then look at each other and then look at her like they're kind of scared to say, no, Brenda, that was a three. So I think I noticed Brenda being a little aggressive throughout the film. I think that she's like a bully. At the very least, a liar. Mm. Well, I didn't catch any of that, so that's interesting. Then we get to go over to uh, back to Jack laying in the bunk, lights up a joint. And then we're misdirected towards the top of the screen when the blood drips onto his forehead. Mm-hmm. And then, boom. But I called it. I was like, drip. Drip on his head. And it happened. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. Yep. And then the death happened to him. And I was like, oh, shit. Kevin got it. Ugh, he didn't last nearly as long as Joni. Nope. He gets his head held down and like a spearhead Ugh. jabbed through his throat. Yeah. No, I think that's a early candidate right there. Yep, that was not bad. It's an early, the early, were, early candidate decent. for kill of the movie. Mm-hmm. Blood kind of sprays in his mouth a little mm. bit. You can see him kind of go... <laughs> no, it's just good, though, too. Like, the shocking aspect of it, the arrow point being so serrated, and it's like, oh, man, it's so final, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was probably at the time. I mean, you said so yourself. With the whole slit, like, throat slitting thing was new back then, you know? But uh, that that arrow scene was probably pretty shocking to a lot of people in that time frame. I I got, oh, yeah. I got respect for that death. I like I like Kevin Bacon's death. Oh, good. We'll throw that on the list. Um, we go from this death straight into another death. Mm, this is pretty gruesome too. Again Remember though, what again though, I've got problems with this because you know she's all um de dum de dum do de do de do. La di da di da, di di di. Doing her thing, you know. I did like, however, though, that the water didn't come on on the faucet. And I was like, check underneath, check the valve, open the valve. Because <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm kind of a landlord for a living, right? So I, I'm like, I know all about, you know, valves and shutoffs and things. So I'm just like, check the valves. And she did. She checked yep. the valves. She turned them and she turned them back on. I was like, nice. Nice. They never do that. They never do that in movies. They just yes, I, know nothing about plumbing. So it's like very nice for her to actually release the valves and use the sink. I thought that was great. That was followed mm-hmm. up by another one of these like, oh no, help me. There's an old fucking lady after me. <laughs> she doesn't even move yeah. when she sees the She's axe. Like, doesn't even no! move. No, I'm frozen and paralyzed by this very defeatable villain. And all because she leaves her stall to check a noise. This Half the deaths in this movie are somebody going to check a noise. Ugh, and the guys, you know, like she has to. I, that's why I like the Kevin Bacon death too, because he's, he's surprised by it, you know. And they don't show you what she does to Ned, so you don't know whether. She probably jumped him. She probably took him by surprise. And yeah. the same thing with the other guy too. She had to take all the guys by surprise because she's not strong enough to beat them. Because they could beat the shit out of her. So she's dead. She got the axe to the face. Which was actually pretty graphic. The axe to the face was quite graphic. I, I remember being like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, because we, <laughs> yeah. we had just experienced this serrated arrow, you know. And in terms of going back to the whole, like, escalation of the intensity of the kills and stuff. 
this is kind of where that happens like for me like these two deaths right here the the serrated arrowhead and the axe to the face those are probably in my opinion the two major candidates for kill award yeah there's a way that they make her like disturbingly kind of thrust her head back when they film that shot with the axe to the face that really sells it mm-hmm. right axe to the face let's head back over to strip monopoly people are starting to get down to their undies alice no shirt off she's the innocent virgin Mm-hmm. which means she's the only one with the chance to escape they tease you with it though she's about to unbutton her shirt and get into the get into the game uh-huh oh yeah and bill's like were you actually gonna do that <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what is it the door swings open yeah it blows open yeah, yeah. the door blows open and then the other girl's like oh i think i left my windows open excuse me yeah i've got to go you didn't notice this hour and a half it's been storming outside what happens to her? Took- she goes, right? She dies now? That This is her death? Uh, yes. Let's see. Oh, wait, no. The game of Strip Monopoly ends. Then we head out to Steve, who is at the diner flirting with that old lady trying to get a free cup of coffee. He does not give her... No, he's not flirting for a free cup of coffee. He's being a nice guy. Yeah, he's got that kind of face. Whatever. He's being a nice guy, all right? He leaves at her a tip. You go ahead and keep that, you know. He's just being a nice guy. There's no, there's no, mm-hmm. there's nothing else going on here. Uh, he looks like he it's the just scene is have... meant to make you like him more because she is an innocent, you know, normal waitress that is just having a positive experience with this man. It, it's so that you don't suspect him in any way. They're, they're mm-hmm. trying to steer you away from speculating that it's him because up until now. You're still thinking it could be a possibility. You're connecting the Jeep. Yes, you are connecting the Jeep, but that cup of coffee looks like a reward for a rape well done, you know? This is your poisoned mind, just trying to... Provide extreme backstories to everyone? Yeah, it's stupid. It's it's childish. I'm saying that this is purely about keeping... Ooh, he's into children. What? That. No! <laughs> that goes back to you bringing up. Yeah, I see where you're going. No, Kevin Bacon was in the woods. <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Bacon's the child molester. This is this guy is. They're trying to steer you away from speculating. All right, and then he goes out and what? His jeep doesn't work. No, his, his jeep. Yeah, it works. Then mm. he gets in it and then he heads back to camp. Um, Brenda hits up the outhouse to brush her teeth as the killer watches from the shower stall. Mm-hmm. Then back to Steve, and suddenly his Jeep doesn't work, and he's just on the side of the road, and the cop comes and picks him up. And then while they're in the car, they have a conversation about the full moon and how the full moon makes all the crimes go up, and there's more pregnancies and more f- people freaking out. Mm-hmm. And Steve just dismisses it as foolish coincidence. Well, the killer is watching Brenda get in her nighty, lay down for a good read. <laughs> And then get her, mommy. Kill her. This is the this is the only time I hear the killer use like a vocal lure. You know, she goes, she hears someone yelling, "Help me!" Oh yeah, yeah. She uses her little kid voice. And then Brenda heads out into the rain to seek out this desperate, desperate child. And even though she has a rain poncho that she wore back to her cabin, she decides to leave it behind this time. Which I thought was going to lead up to a nice, like, see-through, nighty nudity shot, but it did not. Mm-hmm. 
And then she gets lured into the archery range. Uh, the killer throws on the lights. And then it's just cutaway. We don't... I, do we do not see how she gets murdered. Do we see her dead body? Uh, we see her dead body later when it gets thrown through the window. Oh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll have lots to say once we get there about him. <laughs> the strength of an old woman. Yeah. But before that... Alice, we go because we I was laughing Alice, because my oh yeah sounded like the Kool Aid Man. <laughs> oh yeah, and he crashes through things. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> should just lay that lay that over the actual part of that movie. <laughs> yeah, no, let's talk about it now. An old lady throws a, a human being through the window with such velocity that she doesn't like land on the windowsill and flop over, she clears the sill. Like, she crashes through the glass <laughs> and clears the sill. That's, um... That's like... That moon must be really fucking full. And oh, that adrenaline must, must potent, be potent rage. peaking. That adrenaline is peaking. She's, she's oh, yeah. getting her dance on at that point, you know? Like, it's on. It's on. One of them's left. I've almost got it. I'm almost there. She's like getting a little bit excited, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that last surge, you know, with the with the marathon runner when they see the finish line. You got enough in you for a sprint. You got enough in you to throw a human being through the glass and clear the sill. Sure, sure you do. Uh-huh. Sure you do. Second win, home stretch. Why not? But before that, from Brenda's death, we go over to Alice, who thinks that she heard a scream. Bill comes bursting in the door. Actually, no, wait. She hears what she thinks is Brenda screaming, looks concerned, and then sits down and plays around on the guitar. Then when Bill comes in, she's like, oh, Bill, I think I heard Brenda screaming at the archery range. Mm. Did she like, say she that? Did she say that she, was, that she thought she heard Brenda screaming at the archery range? Or did she say she thought she heard something? She was like, I thought I heard a scream. I thought I heard a scream, and, and the said, lights heard, came on at the archery I room. thought it sounded like Brenda. I thought she started talking about the lights. Yes, and then she says, the lights are on over at the archery range. They look out the window, the lights aren't on anymore. And Bill's like, well, I don't give a shit. I'm going to check it out anyways. And this is what I would like to call, this stretch. This next set of scenes is just like a cabin-to-cabin, like straight-up hunt. They go into Brenda's cabin. They don't find Brenda, but they find a bloody axe in her bed. Mm. Oh, yeah, she does go with him initially. That's right. She goes with him. They check out Brenda's cabin first, find a bloody axe. Then they're like, well, what about Jack and Marcy? We haven't seen them in a while. Then they go to Jack and Marcy's cabin. Mm-hmm. No one there. Still haven't found anyone dead to, like, get them scared. Jack and Marcy, not there. Where's uh, Where's the only other place we've seen in this movie? The outhouse. They go to the outhouse. No one there. Then Alice thinks that they should call somebody, so they head over to the main office. They break in. They try using the telephones, and we are shown that the lines are cut. The lines are cut. Trope, trope, trope. <laughs> yeah. No, I did, I did call out trope when that happened. They head out to Ned's truck, which won't start, because according to Bill, it's wet. Wait a minute. What's wet? Sorry. That's what he's there. They get out of the car to look at the engine because the car won't start. And she's like, what's wrong? And he's like, I don't know. I think it's too wet. Okay. But maybe it doesn't come across as such a travesty to me that that's, that it's, that it's wet. It's just, 
a car being wet. Um, Why wouldn't a car start because it was wet? Yeah, I know, but it doesn't click. It didn't click right away that it was wrong because so many wrong things had happened before that that I just, you know, didn't care. Mm -hmm. All right, well, then how about this? Alice says that they should just get the fuck out of there. And Bill says, hey, no, nothing's going on. I'm sure tomorrow we'll figure it all out that it's just us freaking out for no reason. We're going to laugh about this. Mm. And what happens to guys that suddenly get cocky? Troped. Troped. Troperoo. Right. This one I have a particular problem with. Carry on. Oh, yeah, that's right. Steve gets dropped off by the cop a little ways from the camp because the cop has to go off and attend to some other thing. And then a bright flashlight pops up from behind the Crystal Lake side as Steve is walking up to the camp. And he's like, what? Who's there? <laughs> and then the camera's a little wonky, but I, I assume he just gets stabbed in the stomach. Yeah, I think so. Although he was thrown up into the tree at some point. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> So, she's she's but, throwing people through windows. She's throwing people up into trees. And Bill, let's. Not, uh, I'm gonna. I'll wait for you. But Bill. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, no. We'll, we'll. I'll. Yeah, I'll get us there right now. <laughs> okay. So let's right. let's be clear so, here. All right. As mm -hmm. these deaths have escalated, so has the strength of this small woman. That's right. So. She is growing in power with each and every kill. I think that they thought in their minds that the kills were getting more extravagant. But really, it's just communicating that she's getting more and more unbelievably um, strong. It's true. And not only does she get stronger right here, she also gets a little bit smarter. She goes into stealth mode. She cuts the power to the camp, mm -hmm. forcing Bill and uh, Alice to set up some lanterns. Mm -hmm. Bill goes off to check on the generator. And after Bill won't come back after a while, Alice has to go and find him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I did appreciate the fact that the power was cut. Even though it was tropey, it is, you know, it, it helps bring them out. Right. And because they don't know anyone's dead, they're going to, like, carry around the lanterns and pretty much target themselves while you get to creepily dance around and strategize even more. <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally agreed. And then you're going to kill Bill. <coughs> you're going to kill Bill. And you're going to, you know... Put him up against the inside of a door and mount him. You're gonna you're gonna mm -hmm. mount him on the door. You're gonna stab him with several different um, arrows. arrows and things. I thought I saw a knife. Yes, too, but uh, so is he? Did she come up with arrows in her hands and stab him to the door, or did she like with such force and accuracy shoot arrows at him and like nail him? To the I door? thought he was stabbed up there. And then she, you know, let loose some some arrows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that could be. Because obviously, you know, she would have to use a bow and arrow to get the arrows yes. inside of him. Because it would be unrealistic for her to just grab an arrow with her bare hand and sink it into his flesh and have it actually go into the wood. That would be through flesh and bone and cartilage and wood. So that would be unrealistic. Oh, God knows what her power is at well, this time. Well, I mean, it's almost like, um, what's that movie where they eat people and they get stronger? <laughs> <laughs> it's ravenous? Yeah, she's become ravenous. As she kills yes. people, she takes their power and then uses it to 
launch people through windows and throw them up in trees and mount them on the insides of doors. That's right. And then, of course, the kill shot would be the one that he gets in the eye. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't really take... I didn't, I didn't pause it and, and, you know, count how many things were inside of him. I just <laughs> uh, kind of threw my arms up in the air and said, okay. How much is how okay. much is left? <laughs> we're down to one. We got to be close. We are. We're getting close. So, of course, Alice freaks out, freaks out, runs back to her cabin, stacks up all the furniture against the door, wraps a rope around the door handle so that nobody can open it. And then she notices a Jeep drive up, which she thinks is Steve's Jeep. And maybe it is Steve's Jeep, because it is just abandoned in a road somewhere. But Pamela Voorhees gets out. Is that her name? Is it Pamela? Uh, yes. I just call her Mama Voorhees all the time. It is, in my it notes. is Pamela. Pamela Voorhees. Right? She hops out of the car, and I, it, listening to some of the commentary, it was good to note that now it her behavior in that movie makes it seem very very obvious you know her, her she does she doesn't blink and she's like what's wrong sweetie i used to work for the christies everything's fine <laughs> you know like now it seems very obvious but he said back then she was known as such a innocent tv actress that when she showed up on screen people thought for sure she was not there to do anything bad mm-hmm and yeah a lot of fans were upset about it right yeah and also she the the story behind her taking that role is that she hadn't done movies in a while and was a little low on cash she was driving her mercedes it broke down she got a call from her agent that said uh sean cunningham was willing to pay her for 10 days of work a thousand dollars a day and she wanted to buy a new car for ten thousand dollars so she took it then she found out it was a horror movie, read the script, thought it was an utter piece of shit, and thought that because it was such a piece of shit, no one would see it, that she went ahead and took the role, hoping that she could bury it forever. <laughs> Man. And then it exploded. Mm-hmm. Alice so, runs over to the Jeep, so, thinking that it's Steve's Jeep, and... <laughs> it's Pamela Voorhees. He's the bad guy slash girl slash old feeble monstrously strong woman. Mm-hmm. And she gives her a little hug. Hey, don't fret. It's just the storm. You're all worked up into a tizzy. And she gets a creepy look on her eye and she says, get her, mommy. Kill her. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she notices Brenda's dead body first. Oh, all. yes. Is that... No, that, is that, that Annie's... I thought that was Annie's body. No, we skipped over it all. We skipped over the part that we talked that we were waiting to get to, which is that as she's locked up in that room, barricaded, before the Jeep pulls up, a dead body gets thrown in through the window, which is Brenda's dead body. And then the Jeep pulls up, she gets out, invites Pamela Voorhees into the cabin, says, no, I'm not fucking lying. Look, there's a dead body right there. Mm. And Pamela Voorhees is like, oh, shit, you're right. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys kind of deserve it, <laughs> you know? Goes off into her little reveal confession speech. Yeah, they always, that's tropey, too. They say too much. They, it's mm-hmm. like they announce themselves as the killer, and it's like, ugh. So right, tropey. but she gives the backstory as to what, happened to jason that's the part that's tropey did they get it across that's the part that's tropey 
is how they have to go into detail about the backstory and explanation. Especially in a movie like this, where it's quite obvious to me that none of that matters. You've already pulled the rabbit out of the hat. This magic old lady is responsible for all of this, and it makes no sense. So anything that she says, and all of her reasons, are pointless. They have no relevance. You've already ruined it. But do you understand what happened to Jason? Jason was drowned. Yeah, he was drowning because the counselors that were supposed to be looking after him were off goofing off instead doing drugs and having sex. Mm -hmm. And so her son drowned. Mm -hmm. So it's her personal vendetta against all camp counselors everywhere. Exactly. Especially ones that are having sex and doing drugs just because not because those are sinful things oh, to do and so there's some saying is and Kevin Bacon and Marcy got it the worst because they were the ones that were having sex. Mhm. Okay. Right, but there's a thing there's a mythology wrapped around this movie and other movies of its ilk where these people are getting killed for like some sort of religious symbolism, but in this movie it's just directly related to that being a thing that annoys Mama Voorhees, because that's how her son was neglected and killed, right? But she gets weird, she confesses all that bullshit about her son, starts to do all that not blinking stuff and channeling her son's voice. And then they start, when she pulls out the knife to stab Alice, Alice pulls out the fire poker, gives her a couple of swats across the bat, mm-hmm. and takes her down immediately. <laughs> yeah. No, this is where all of this talk about her gaining strength and being this thing... It's just thrown out the window. It's it's fucking none of it. This is why none of the kills before this have any consistency or make any logical sense. It's it <laughs> ruins everything. Like they they think it's a big surprise, but it's not a big surprise. It's like surprise, nothing makes sense. No, this as a as a fan and defender or alleged defender of of this movie. I'm going to say this whole last uh, fight scene that goes on between Pamela Voorhees and Alice is very weirdly and poorly done. There, it looks like they were used, they extended it a lot to fill up some time. <clears throat> because Alice drops Voorhees to the ground three times, three different times, and runs away. Yeah, being all scream queeny and helpless trope running. She trope right. runs yeah. over to the Jeep. She opens the Jeep. Annie's inside dead. She doesn't know yep. who Annie is, but there's more death. Like, oh, God. Ah, I'm going to scrape some more and run around. And, oh, I'm going to fight her. Yep. And then, oh, I'm, no, wait, I'm just going to cut her head off. Like, I'm going to sever her head completely off. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cut off the head of the snake, as you put it. But there's there's the good obstacle course, goofy obstacle course that you mentioned. She sees the body in the car. Ah, freak out. Runs into the woods. Body flops out of the tree. Ah, freak out. Runs into an empty cabin. It's, yeah, because she rifle. doesn't know that everybody's dead, right? Yeah. So it's right. like, oh, everybody's It's all dead. a shock now. It's all coming. She's, she's starting to get mm-hmm. it. She runs into a cabin looking for a rifle. Can't find any bullets. Um, that's when Voorhees stumbles in again. They get into another quibble takes her down to the ground again and runs out of the cabin. And she runs back to her old cabin. So we go back to where the scene started. She hides in the pantry. Voorhees pretends like she comes in and searches the place and then leaves, but it's just a trick. 
She axes her way into the pantry. They get into a tussle again. That part was actually okay. The whole pantry part. Where she, where right? she's, yeah, where she, she's inside, and it's like the whole. <sighs> and then you're like, you know, it created anxiety. It was probably the best part of that whole end part. Yes, that was a good way. That was that should have just. Happened oh, I also want to say way. that earlier with the whole body through the window uh, nonsense. Um, I just remembered this. She like closes the door. And like, um, this is where she's running away, right? Where she like closes the door and like puts the rope up all ingeniously, like like puts puts the rope over the pillar and the in the ceiling or through the um the yeah. the, the, the yeah, beam yeah, yeah. in the ceiling. She throws the rope over it, and like ties it to the handle, and like gets all into it, and puts everything in front of the door, and you know pulls the drapes on the on the window next to the door, and then leaves the other drapes open. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? And immediately disassembles mm. all of it once she sees the car. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, sorry. Continue. Pantry. Yeah, pantry. Alice takes off for the lake, and then just decides to sit in in a canoe and reflect. Oh, I remember her. thinking that that's the way. That's the way to save yourself. You should you, you could have been calm and collected. That was the way out of that whole thing. The minute that you knew somebody was trying to kill you, get in the canoe, go into the middle of the lake. Right, which she should have done, but she doesn't. She just sits there and like... And then then you, you can know, see her paddling towards... Hangs out. But then, of course, they would pull the whole, you know, evil person can swim underwater for five minutes and not ripple the water and just, you know, rise out of the yes. water. Or they'd bring Jason into it earlier or whatever. Oh, yeah. Old strong Mama V. She'd come just bursting out of the mm. water. Full body clearance. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they'd come up with a way to make it work. Because what better isolation than in the middle of the lake on a canoe? <laughs> they have probably one of the most pathetic old lady, young girl wrestling mm. scenes that's ever been put onto film. Which ends with her head being completely severed. with a With a dull machete. Like... A machete that like didn't even really look like it went through the snake all that well, you know? Like it kinda it dealt with the snake, but I didn't see it like you know. He had to he had to kinda like give it a couple of like rocks back and forth to sever that last little part of the yeah, snake. Yeah, they didn't show the they should like again, like show the machete being really sharp earlier, and maybe you could have some believability. Maybe. But even then you're talking about a Game of Thrones lopping of the head here. Like this is you know. It's not, no, mm-hmm. no. And then the hands come up looking for the head. Mm. And then, boom. Then there's nothing else really left for her to do except for to canoe out in the middle of the lake and wait for morning. Mm-hmm. And get attacked by Jason. Yeah, it's peaceful. We're getting completely misdirected. The music sounds like the movie is over. The cops, it's beautiful outside. You know, you know the sun has come back to remind us of innocence. You know what we need? We need a hokey wake-up scene. Is it real or was it fake? We need that. Mm-hmm. Which we sort of get. We get the sort of double twist in this movie. Because as the cops arrive and they get out of the car, it looks like everything's safe. Uh, Jason bursts out of the water and grabs Alice around the neck and pulls her under. And you think that's the twist ending, but then she wakes up at the hospital. Oh, what's real? What's not real? Well, all of her friends are dead. That's real. (laughs) (laughs) And they did find her in the water. So 
She was pulled into the water. But by who? Or at least by what? Or at least fell in the water. Mm. Or we don't even we're not supposed to know. Mm-hmm. This is them like throwing in a twist at the end for the possibility of a sequel, but it didn't sound like there was an intention of a sequel at all. So what was no, the yeah, driving purpose in this end scene? It was just being terrible writers. Like that's it. It was probably literally thinking, is 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 one twist enough? Is one should should we do two twists? Throw a second twist in there. It was probably something like yeah. that. More twists the better. Yep. But what about the boy? But what about the boy? Did Halloween have any twists? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. How many twists did it have? Let's do more. Let's do more twists. Let's ramp it up. But then finally we're at the end. Zoom in on the lake, which is actually one of the prettiest shots, that, that canoe out in the middle of the lake by itself. I thought that shot was really pretty. And then cue music, tiny ripple in the water, credits. We're out of here. You know, I never thought to appreciate any of the filmed scenes in these movies. Either did I. That one was a shock. Okay. Maybe in the next movie I'll try to appreciate a scene. There'll be... There's usually there'll one. Be a scene. You can see the one that they wrote the movie around. <laughs> hey, that'll be one of our new segments right there. Nathan, which scene did you appreciate the most? <laughs> or Yeah, or which scene was... like? Because that happens a lot with these horror movies, that they have one particular scene that's like beautiful in their head, and then they write a movie around that scene. It'd be cool to see if you could pinpoint that one. Fair enough. Is anyone else alive? Are they all dead? Yes, ma'am. Two of my men pulled you out of the lake. We thought you were dead, too. Do you remember very much? The boy. Is he dead, too? Who? The boy, Jason. Jason? In the lake, the, the one who attacked me, the one who pulled me underneath the water. Ma'am, we didn't find any boy. How does it stack, Daniel? How does it stack, Nathan? Sex. Sex. Very little. But Not again, we have um, one sex yeah, scene. Yeah, but the sex scene had more nudity than Nightmare on Elm Street. So do you do you rate sex based on nudity, or do you rate sex on the amount of time sex happens? Uh, I did both. I put Jack and Marcy practice sweet missionary on the bottom mm-hmm. bunk. You get so, you get some of Kevin Bacon's ass and some of Janine Taylor's tits. It all factors in. And then I actually have an honorable mention to the to the monopoly for, to the strip monopoly to the strip monopoly to the plethora of bra free petite crab eyed thin shirt pokey nipples pokey nipples and then you know, the nineteen fifties dry humping. Oh yeah. Yeah, throwback to the beginning. Hmm. Yep. Okay, so this has a And that's all about that that's that's it. That's all okay. sex. So heavily weighted with sex compared compared to what we've cuz you know, as we stack these movies, what are we stacking them to? To each other, right? How does it exactly. stack up? Exactly. So in terms of Nightmare on Elm Street, this movie defeats Nightmare on Elm Street with sex. It gives you, yeah, it gives you a very obvious naked breast shot we, as opposed to a split second underwater. We have a new champion for sex. Friday yep. the 13th Morty slash first. Pamela 1. <laughs> <laughs> Pamela 1. <laughs> and first man ass. Okay, yeah. But, you know, 
in terms of pure numbers, that's one sex scene to one sex scene. But you're right. It is a much more... Uh, one sex scene to one sex scene with one. more sex involved. Nightmare on Elm Street did have better use of sexuality with the, you know, with the breast thing going on, with the with, with the loose t-shirts and stuff. So, I, yeah, I guess that's a good question. Did it use sexuality more effectively? I think there was just more sexuality in general in Friday the 13th. So I would still give it the, the yes. props it deserves for that in terms of stacking it against Nightmare. Although I do I, have a fond place in my heart for how Nightmare on Elm Street used sexuality. But you also made the point, too, that the pointy nipples poking through the shirts was could also be seen as an effective use of sexuality as well. So, yes. you know what? Let's, uh, let's say that the new champion for sexuality is Friday the 13th. All right. I'm on board. Tropes. This... Tropes. Movie is the king of tropes. This movie sets a new precedent for tropes in my mind for horror movies. I think it might be hard to dethrone this. That's that's there's a good possibility that 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 it may never be dethroned, (laughs) except for maybe one of by one of its own later installments. Possibly, it just seemed like every time a scene happened, it was possibly trope tropish. Yep. You got people having sex I've, getting killed. You got the cocky I've never guy said killed. you got hearing noise and investigating. Trope so much before in my life. Yeah, I know. We're gonna have to get a thesaurus out and start calling it something else. <laughs> That'll be fun. I don't know. I mean, we can't sit here and list all of the tropes in this movie. I mean, we kind of listed it as we went through in the walkthrough, but this thing is decorated with tropes, like a teenager with acne, and the acne is covering his face, and the acne is tropes. Yep. Oh yeah. This is a ginger a ginger acneed high school kid. If acne were tropes. This is a horrible metaphor. No. The one and only trope may be that I can't off the top of my head think of another movie where an old lady <laughs> kills so many people. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what to do about tropes because we do mention I'm all the tropes so as we go. So satisfied through. when Jason gets out of the water and starts killing people. With his machete and his mask on. I'm going to be very satisfied. Because it means that this is behind us. <laughs> Alright. Creative kills. This Creative kills. body count in this movie is what? Ten. Mm. May, eleven if you mm. pull the snake. I was going to pull that on you. But yeah. Yeah. Eleven. But ten human okay. beings. Eleven. Yeah, ten human beings. Do you want to see if you have them I want right, to see if I have them right. Two kids even... at the beginning. One, two. Okay, yep. One and two is, yep. Third is Annie. Annie gets her throat slit. Fourth it's is tricky. Ned. Ned gets his throat slit. Nice. Jack. Jack has a spearhead stabbed his throat from behind. Yep. I'm at five. You're at five. Marcy. Axe to the face, Marcy. Brenda. Brenda mysteriously murdered. She has a rope wrapped around her when she's thrown through that window. Steve? Whatever that means. Yep, Steve stabbed Bill. in the stomach. Bill affixed to a door with arrows and has one stabbed in his eye. Pamela. Decapitation. And the snake in there falls in between the 1950s counselors and Annie. Oh, so the snake is the first one. 
Yeah, I guess technically, yeah. Present day, the snake is the first death. Hmm. But should we not just set the table right now that animal deaths should not be included in the body count moving forward as a stipulation? Yeah, Yeah, that's why I I listed it off to Hmm. the side. Okay, good. It was a a cute observation, Nathan. So, final thoughts, Daniel? Final thoughts? uh, If we're stacking it up against Nightmare, I'm I'm going Nightmare. Nightmare on Elm Street is the better film. Yeah, in terms of the stacking, the qualities of the stack process, yeah, I would have to say that Nightmare on Elm Street, I think, is a better movie. But um, in terms of stacking, which is purely just horror movie genre um, elements, obviously Friday the 13th is targeting those elements. Very specifically, so much so that the writer the writer watched a movie that focused on those things and then copied it. So yep. I guess you kind of have to. Which kind of makes me upset because I think, you know, we should be paying homage to Halloween here. That we should be saying, hey, you know, Halloween did it first. And I think actually if I... I've only seen the remake. I haven't seen the original, but... um. You know, they introduce a real lunatic in Halloween. Yes. And you get to see there's... a real lunatic. Not some supernatural nonsense, an actual psychopath. Right. And remember I mentioned that I kind of went off of nostalgic impact to decide what I was going to go with first. There's also an element of trying to stack franchises against each other that are relatively the same mm-hmm. length. But um, yeah, I, I should have started with Halloween if we're doing homage and where some of these tropes started. No, that's fine. I'm just, as I'm doing this, I'm, I'm learning things. And I think, I think Jason is more famous than, than Michael Myers. So in the end, this actually does have more relevance. It's just interesting that one copied the other and then became more famous off of it. It's almost like a tribute yeah, to it, horror genre itself. It is very much so that. So it cheats its way to success and um, ends up kind of looking like an asshole. <laughs> a little bit, but it wears its asshole on its sleeve. Almost like it's a. it could be seen as a metaphor for you and the way that you behave. Yeah. Oh? You look for opportunities to take advantage of other people and be an asshole. So I guess you could say, <laughs> oh, you could say no, that they no, kind of, no. you know. Well, I got to say, you held out a long time before you dipped that low. <laughs> I didn't dip low. I just tell them how it is, you know. At some point, someone has got to tell you that the reason why you connect with these movies the way that you do is because that's how you process, you know, things in your in your everyday life. I also wanted to say that Nightmare on Elm Street is a movie that the writer wanted to write. And I think that comes across as well, which also ekes it out as a better film. But, you know, like you said, you wrapped it up pretty nicely yourself in your own words that came straight from your own heart. This is a timeless masterpiece that is an homage to the horror genre itself. I feel that you took my words and painted them with a different brush, but okay. Oh, okay. Well, I have a quarter down here. I already put it up on the website. We'll deal with that later. <laughs> this um, is for childish, everybody else, childish retribution. That's what this is. This may be the first and last time that we are ever in total agreement. Well, to everyone out there who joined us today, thank you. Thank you for joining us. 
Um, if you want to get into contact with us, you can look us up at 100lunatics.squarespace.com. That's 100 as written out in letters. Check us out. Check out all the trailers for these horror franchises that we're talking about. Get prepared. Get these movies into your collections and watch them. Kill, kill. Follow along kill, with us. Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. Son of a bitch. <laughs> you can get in contact with us, or in this case, me, directly on Twitter at 100lunatics. That's 100 the number. Or with Nathan at I Hate Horror. And, just recently, up on iTunes, subscribe, review, rate, help us out with a little bit of attention, and join us next week for A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. I can't believe this. I'm actually looking forward to this. Freddy's Revenge. I'm actually looking forward to this. <laughs> because as much, as much as I think these movies are ridiculous, I'm kind of curious to see where they go. Just a, just a dick, just smack on my face.